Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah McGarrow-George. That's my co-host, Damian Bartonek. Man, how are you doing today now that you have officially graduated and moved to San Angelo, Texas? Man, I'm feeling good, man. I feel like um I feel like a, like like I'm in Red Dead Redemption, man. Like I'm Arthur Morgan. <laughs> you know, I'm going from town to town, you know. Not trying to step on anyone's toes, you know, cuz we're we're outlaws, you know. But uh I feel good, man. I feel uh refreshed. Uh I'm living on my own. I'm, I have my own apartment and uh, it's you know, it's a change for me, right? But uh it's a good one, and I'm starting new things like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tomorrow. Uh, this is uh, so it'll be Friday when you are listening. So today is when I started, and uh, yeah, man, it's just it's a lot of change, right? And the holiday season's here, and it's a, it's a lot of movement, bro. But that feels like what that's been my life is just a lot of movement. <laughs> so uh, kind of par for the course, you know. Yeah, congrats again on getting the position out in San Angelo. There, I'm, I'm sure you're gonna kill it. The move is awesome for you. A new lifestyle is awesome for you. This is really, really awesome, really. And uh, honestly, let's, just, let's go ahead and get started. Like, there's not really that much that has changed in my life. Like you said, the holiday season is around the corner. Hopefully, it brings a little bit better basketball from the Spurs. But before we get started here, just wanted to let our audience know we're recording this podcast on December 15th. That's about 7.41 p.m. Central Time. So the Spurs, we've talked about them all season long. They haven't been too good. But recently, they've been a little bit better. They've gone a respectable 3-3 three and three since the last time we hopped on the mic together. And, you know, they're still in last place in the Western Conference. But I think I want to talk about their relative turnaround and what has them playing better basketball. So, Dane, we probably don't really need to touch on those blowout losses to the Phoenix Suns and New Orleans Pelicans. We can throw those in the trash. It's depressing. It's not anything that I think anybody wants to hear about. So... Let's just talk about the last four games, okay? Three and one over the last four games. They've turned it around a little bit. What have been your biggest takeaways from that four-game stretch? I think one of the most like intriguing things about this entire, like this, this stretch in particular, is their first quarter point differential. And I think the reason being is I love how you noted that, uh, you know, that's, that's a hallmark of most lottery-bound teams is, you know, falling into those early holes. And, you know, I don't want to keep, you know, beating the drum on this, but it's kind of a sign of like what bad teams do, right? Bad teams, that's typically what happens. And they are a young team, right? They're a feisty group. Uh, like we saw last night against Portland, right? They'll try to make it close. They'll, they're definitely given all that they have. But the talent just isn't there, right? They're not a very good team. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing. You know, 
they're not one of these teams that's just that's just going to roll over by any means. But they also they they're not very talented, man. At the same time, though, I do like you know as we move on to the players, you know, later in the show, I do like what I'm seeing from some of these guys. Uh, I also see, I think we all see how valuable guys like you know Zach Collins and Yaka Pertle are. But the biggest takeaway for me thus far is uh, their 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 first quarter point differential, man. It's like they're they're giving themselves very little room for error, and especially when you go go down big early in games. They just don't have the the resources to kind of get back into them. Yeah, and, and I think that's kind of why they've been better recently is because they've kind of bucked that trend at least over the last four games. Obviously, the Portland game, we saw what happens when they dig themselves in a big hole. They're down, you know, double digits in the first quarter. But those other three games that we saw them play against the Rockets, against the Heat, and against the Cleveland Cavaliers, they were right in there, right? So they outscored one of those games. They were within a few points in the other two games in the first quarter. And you see what happens when they're able to keep it competitive from the start to the finish of the game. And, you know, this is probably not that valuable of information, but I did think it's interesting. So I'll go ahead and throw it out there. More than 150 teams have won 30 or fewer games since 2000. Dame, do you want to guess how many of those teams have had a positive point differential since that year? None. You're close. It's just one. Only the 2021 (laughs) Toronto Raptors had a positive point differential. So, you know, the Spurs kind of turned it around a little bit with that point differential in the first quarter. They've been more competitive. They've had more competitive starts. But to be honest with you, I think them having that second worst point differential in the NBA, it sort of just speaks to who they are as a team right now. And we, we won't really harp on that because we want to talk about the positives. And speaking of positives, I think you look at the last podcast. We talked about it, right? Injuries, they've decimated the roster. It's put them behind the eight ball because depth is kind of one of their greatest strengths, even though they don't have top-end talent. They have a lot of guys who can kind of just fill in on any given night. But you look at it, that plus 11 games and 21 nights, that didn't help their cause, but you started seeing them. You get the, those three full days of rest after that huge blowout to Phoenix. You get Doug McDermott back. You get Josh Richardson back. And suddenly, three and one, you look competitive. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that this is going to last forever, but I definitely think those days off really help them get right. Yeah, I, w- I would assume so as well, man. I mean, I think one of the intriguing things, too, is uh, you mentioned kind of the they got Doug McDermott back. It was interesting. I texted you. I was at the Creighton and UT game, <laughs> and dude, I was walking down. You know, I was a part of the media for that game, and I'm walking, Noah, and I see Doug McDermott. I'm like, I'm like, what the heck? I was like, Doug McDermott. Obviously, you know, I know his dad's the coach and everything, but I just thought it was really funny that uh, I was just walking past. I see this big, like, 6'7 dude, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, that's it. I was like, you know, it was the first guy I talked to about that. But, uh, yeah, I think I think playing 11 games in 21 days is really, really rough, man. That's a lot of hoops to be playing, even for a young ball club, man. Uh, that's just a lot. That, that's, 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 that's a lot. At the same time, too, you know, the Spurs, they have protected the ball and they've attacked the rim more often, uh, and they've secured more offensive rebounds over the last four games. They currently rank 11th in turnovers and 7th in points in the paint and 7th in second-chance points during that stretch. I think a lot of that just – it could be uh, just kind of their philosophy, right? They're not a, a very kind of, like you mentioned, like a top-end kind of heavy talent team. Uh, but at the same time, too, they're gritty. They play with high intensity. They play with high energy. And they're able to kind of, you know, give themselves extra opportunities even though they do kind of get down early in games, right? I think that's why kind of in that Portland game, even though, you know, it was close kind of a little bit uh, towards kind of the end of it, I mean, I think a lot of that's just due to high energy and really kind of locking in. So the Spurs team, man, they're they're not exactly, you know, the greatest team on the earth, on the planet right now. But at the same time, there are some kind of nice kind of 
levels and foundations here that I think they can build on. And I think really, like you saw at the beginning of the season when they started five and two, it was a combination of them. Okay, they're shooting well. They're operating on the offensive end without you know committing a ton of turnovers. They're passing the ball well. They're screening well. They're cutting well. There was a good flow. And I think all those injuries and then you have all those games in such a short time span, that really hurt them. And then now you have, like I believe, uh, Jeff McDonald of the San Antonio Express News had talked about in those three days off they had after that Phoenix blowout, they got two full practices in, which they never do. They got a full shoot around in, and they watched a ton of tape. And I think really having the bodies, having the tape, having the rest, that helped them. And I don't want to take too much away from them, and I don't want Spurs fans to be mad here, but I think they deserve some credit for ratcheting up the intensity. But I'll be honest with you, Dame, any team that is coming off an 11-game losing streak Everyone who's coming into the into your arena, or if you're going into their arena, they're looking at you like you're chopped liver. Like you're yeah. you're 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 a chicken dinner to them. They're yeah, ready for that dinner. win. They're they're yeah. I, they're going to assume they're going to win the game. Like, and yeah. I think that's fair to a degree, right? So all these teams are coming in. They're saying San Antonio's lost eleven in a row. We're about to make it twelve. We're about to make it thirteen. Whatever the case is, there, and then they're not really prepared for this forty-eight minute slugfest with a team that. While they've lost a lot of games, they fight hard every night. So I kind of feel like they de- they deserve credit. But those three victories came against the 14th place Rockets, not a good team, underachieving Heat team that's sitting below 500 right now. So you know they're they're kind of who are they? How good are they? We don't really know. And then a Cavs team, while you know they're in third place in the Eastern Conference, they're six and nine on the road. They just haven't been good on the road. So. All those teams were probably looking at the Spurs thinking, oh, it's an automatic win. The Spurs probably gave them more than they were anticipating they were going to see. And so it's a little bit of, okay, teams weren't prepared, and the Spurs played a little bit better. Because you look through all the other stats, the three-point percentage, the field goal percentage, the rebounds, turnovers, steals, assists, they're pretty much middle of the road over their last four to six games. They're not really at the top of any category. So, you know, again, they deserve credit, but... I think some of their opponents underestimated them. And I think, you know, that kind of makes sense with how bad they had been up to that point. Yeah. I think the theme of this team thus far is just like my favorite saying of like the jack of all trades, master of none. I think that's kind of this team right now. And I think this was kind of, that's kind of the theme of this season. And it's not, again, it's not to say they, they stink or anything like that, but you know, you, we know what they are. We all came into the season season knowing what they are. And I feel like what we've seen thus far isn't very surprising. At the same time, though, if you want to go on, we can talk. Start talking about these individual players. Let's In do particular, it. a guy Keldon Johnson, who the last time we spoke, Noah, I, I, I <laughs> Keldon Johnson was playing some rough hoops, right? But it seems like he broke out of his, uh, you know, he broke out of that slump. You know, over the last five games, he's averaging twenty five points, six point two boards, fifty uh, percent sh- uh, shooting. I loved that block in transition on Donovan Mitchell to win the game. I think what we see from Keldon is kind of, you know, the high the highest highs and the lowest lows. If you want to go to Six Flags of San Antonio reference, on the Rattler, the old Rattler, <laughs> all the way up on the top and all the way down on the bottom on the on the big uh, on the big little uh what's it called? The big what the dip. I, you know, yeah, the dip. There you go. But yeah, man, I think I think Keldon in particular, we've seen so much from him and regardless of how he finishes the season, I don't want to sound like a cheerleader by any means, but I feel like we should all be really kind of proud of what we're seeing because we've seen him Noah look really bad. And then we've seen him look really good. And I think we're seeing the growing pains of what could potentially be, you know, the Spurs 
you know, uh, you know, a mac and cheese kind of guy for them, right? They're a third best player, you know, or someone like that if they want to go out and, you know, be a better team or be a playoff team. Keldon's a guy that, you know, really they'll, they'll need to kind of really lean on his development a bit. And I think we've seen some, some pretty interesting stuff. We've seen him, like I said, high and low. You know, he's doing what he does best, you know, slashing, you know, being, you know, head down and doing all those kind of things. But, man, it's definitely warming my heart to see Kelvin look better because the last time we spoke, Noah, oh, it was not very good. <laughs> it was not very good. No, and, and he looked out of sorts. He looked frustrated with himself. And, and like you mentioned, right, he, he's been slashing to the hoop, decisive drives, bullying skinnier defenders to get closer to the paint. I like that he's getting back to kind of his roots, what he is good at. At the same time, I, I think maybe it's not a huge cause for concern, but you're looking at his three-point numbers, his free-throw numbers, 27.3% from three, 69% from the line over the last five games. And he's really not taking as many shots. And, and, and in, in that same breath, it's like, okay, well, he's not forcing as many shots, but he's also passing up some open shots. So I think a little bit of his confidence is still maybe a little bit shaken up a bit. And I also feel like you're seeing a guy who, and I'm not a shot guru, so if you if you want to you know correct me here, totally fine. But when I watch him shoot the ball, he still very much looks like he's re- regressed back to doing the moon ball shot where he's shooting it so high that the arc of the shot is going out of the frame and then it's coming back down. And part of that's probably the reason that he's shooting so poorly. Some of it's a small game sample size. And, and some of it is I think he's still just not really in a rhythm from downtown anymore. And I think it's also shown at the free throw line. So I'm proud of Kel- Keldon, right? I mean, he, he's done a good job to turn himself around. That 25 points per game over the last five games is really awesome. But I think the one thing that sticks out to me is something that you already mentioned was that block off the backboard. And I think we can probably safely say that's probably his best defensive play of his career. Because I don't think of him as a very good man-to-man stopper. He doesn't have a ton of awareness defending away from the ball. But he had the awareness in transition to track Donovan Mitchell, make that weak side rotation, and then block it off the backboard without committing a goaltend. He got there on time. He reached it before the peak of the ball. So, And he saved the game, right? It's a game-saving block. It's huge. It's, it's a big dub against a legitimate playoff team. So, you know, shout-out to Keldon for that. But other than that, there's not really too much else I can say about Keldon right now because he really is just keeping it pretty simple. Yeah, and well, another guy that it's, it's keeping it simple, but he's looking nice doing it is Devin Vassell, man. He's been the guy that's I think we've seen develop the most this season, in my opinion. Right? We've seen him, seen him, uh, you know, really do a lot of stuff off the dribble that we weren't really expecting. Uh, he's been really, really assertive in that aspect. Really, really solid as a pick and roll player, and even you know as a closer for the Spurs. I was in Las Vegas on Saturday for the fights for the UFC fights, and I go to the sports book. And I see young Devin Vassell <laughs> dro- dropping off Bam Adebayo and Caleb Martin, you know, to 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 steal, you know, a game in Miami, right? And uh, th- that's just that's kind of the the things that you and I have kind of discussed. We're like, hey, if Devin Vassell can be kind of a, a you know, another one of those kind of complimentary pieces, uh, this Spurs team can be really really solid with guys like him and Keldon, no matter what you know direction they go as a franchise. And you know, I know I know kind of. I'm not, you know, saying he's going to be, you know, this, that, and the third for the Spurs. But what I am saying is he's looked really, really solid. Even though he was off against Portland the other night, I just really like what I've seen from Devin all season. And I feel like the Spurs are better when Devin's kind of really being assertive as that pick-and-roll ball handler. No, I, I really like what I've seen. Yeah, and I think 
you know, Greg Popovich has liked what he's seen. I mean, we, we can continue talking a little bit about him as a closer. And before we get there, I know we don't really like to make a lot of player comparisons here because sometimes it can be misguiding for fans who are listening. Then they go, oh, you know, that, then he's that player. I'm not saying he's that player, but he certainly has a similar archetype, at least trajectory-wise, towards a guy like Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton isn't the greatest athlete. He's not. He doesn't have the best first step. He doesn't put a ton of pressure on the rim. But what he does do is he's able to beat you off of a couple of dribbles. He knows how to get to his spots. He's very patient. He can use screens. He can operate in the pick and roll. And he is so long. He's got the size. He's got the elevation on the jumper. It doesn't really matter who you send his way when the game slows down. You think of Giannis as the superstar, but Chris Middleton, a lot of times when the game slows down, the you know the game's on the line. The Bucks turn to him, and I think the Spurs kind of see Devin Vassell maybe in a similar mold, right? Because same like Middleton. He's long. He's tall. He's got good elevation on the jumper, a high release point, good pace in the pick and roll. I'm not saying he's going to be Chris Middleton, who's a multi-time all-star, but he certainly feels like he could get to a similar level. And if he can, wow, that is, that's really good value, Dame. That's, that's insane value for a guy who was drafted 11th overall. I actually really like that comparison as well because that's the kind of play that the Spurs really do need. And I think a guy like Middleton, um, you know, with that with a kind of a sell comp, I think it is not like, you know, extremely likely per se, but I definitely see where, where you're coming from. And I think, uh, you know, to kind of make an NFL comparison, I, I like Chris Middleton compared to a guy like <laughs> Keenan Allen, right? Really, really technical. Uh, you know, not the fastest guy, but really, really technical, really fundamentally sound. And that's where Chris Middleton is, man. He's a really solid, well-rounded player. And I think if Devin Vassell can kind of be a light version of that, man, like you mentioned, not only is that great value, but you're gonna make you're gonna make me look like a genius, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if if Devin's like that. But but in all seriousness, uh no, I think you would agree. I think Devin's shown the most development thus far this season. Yes. Uh on the Spurs. And I think if this is, you know, potentially we're going into, you know, next season. Uh, with with you know however the Spurs team looks, Devin may be kind of like the 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 face of whatever San Antonio does, and I don't know about you, man. I want to talk. I want to talk about if you're done with Devin. I want to talk about my guy, my guy Zach Collins, man. Yeah, let's right? move on to let's move on to Zach Collins. We've shown we, Devin so, some love, so I, I want you to show yeah. Zach Collins some love. So Zach Collins, here here's the 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 interesting thing. I t- I, Noah and I were texting last night, and I was texting him in the middle of the game. I was like, man, this is a rough watch, right? <laughs> we saw how valuable a guy like Zach Collins is. I think, you know, even as, as a spot starter for Jakob, right, over these last three games, averaging essentially 12, 12, 8, and 3, you know, shooting 70, 75% from the field. And I know there's not like eye-popping numbers to some people, but you'll take that all day from a spot starter, your backup center. And that's, I think, the expectations that we've all had for Zach is exactly that. Yeah. So I think by filling in like that, you live with that. You live with those results. I, I like what I've seen from Zach. He's always, you know, a, a high energy kind of gritty player, someone that you hate to play against, but you love him when he's on your team. And I like what we've seen from him. Now, I am going to say this though: the fouls do need to kind of come down <laughs> a bit. I think overall, Noah, he does play a little bit too physical to a fault. Uh, but that kind of is also what makes Zach Collins who he is. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that kind of that's just that's just who he is, right? <laughs> but at the same time, I think Zach's been really, really solid, really, really fine. And I think San Antonio, with a guy like Zach going forward as your backup five, no matter where they go with Jakob, at least 
they have some sort of you know security per se from a guy that can play you know 16, 18 minutes a night, uh, 20 minutes a night off the bench. Yeah, and I mean like regardless of the fouls, right? Five point six fouls per game since December began. I think just like you mentioned, that's just kind of who he is. He's physical. Can he cut down on the fouls? Sure. Would we like him to cut down on the fouls? Sure. But you look at his matchups. He's battled with Alperin Shingun, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen in the post, right? He's he's going to 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 war with those guys in the post. And then you see guys who are really gifted guards who can slash to the basket, who can weave their way to the basket out of the pick and roll or in ISO situations. He's protecting the paint with guys like Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Tyler, Tyler Hero, Jalen Green, and Kevin Porter Jr. attacking the basket. And he's done a really good job of that. You know, he may never block a ton of shots, but he can alter a ton of shots with his length, with his aggressiveness. He makes timely rotations. You know, he's got a pretty good sense of verticality. A lot of these fouls we've seen, they're either, you know, being too physical in the post or he's setting those moving screens. That's That's been a pretty big problem for him. But he hasn't really committed a lot of silly fouls like and one, giving up an and one or just like hanging on to a guard for no reason. So I'm happy with Zach Collins. I'm very happy, especially with how he defended Bam Adebayo because his physicality just completely shut him down. I think Bam had 12 points in that Miami matchup. And every time he tried to get two feet in the paint, knock you know Zach Collins around the post, Zach was right there pushing him out of the post, doing his work early to make sure he caught the ball way off of the block. And Bam really kind of just played into his hand. He had a ton of turnaround jumpers with a hand in his face from Collins. And Collins did a great job. So if that's your backup center, I think you're in a pretty good position. And again, I know we talk about this all the time. Like they have the pieces. They just don't have the guy. Zach Collins is another one of those pieces you want to have for once you get the guy. So if you're good on Collins, we can move on to one of my guys. Yeah, let's move on to your guy. Yeah, let's move on to your guy. I was gonna, I was gonna start it with like, well, he might be the, you know, one of those guys. But is this guy the guy? You know, talk, talk to me about this 23 year old man. You know, I love Romeo Langford, and if you listen to the podcast, you read my work, you watch my YouTube channel. I'm a big fan of Romeo. I think the only real drawbacks with him is he's not a three point shooter. And he just can't stay healthy, right? He's missed almost half of San Antonio's this ga- uh, games this season with, you know, whether it's an ankle sprain or a sore knee or a sore elbow or you know shoulder contusion. Like, he's missed a lot of games, and that's fair. But I think he's been a real bright spot, right? I think he's improved as the season has gone along. He's gotten more comfortable with his teammates. He's averaging nine, basically 10 points per game and four rebounds per game on 60.5% shooting over the last two weeks. And for me, the real thing that you look at when you watch Romeo Langford, is just his ability to switch across positions, be physical on the defensive end, shut down multiple guys. I mean, you look at him right now, he's held guys like Donovan Mitchell, Carl Anthony Towns, LeBron James, Anthony Edwards this season below 33% shooting on more than four shots defended against each of them. And, like, you know, he's not every night guarding the best player, but he has so much positional versatility. He's so intense at the point of attack. I just don't know how you can't look at this guy and go, yeah, that's a legit role player. And like maybe that's not what San Antonio needs is a legit role player, but Romeo Langford is the guy who you want on your team because he makes winning plays. And that might matter one day soon. Yeah, I I, I agree with you, especially just on, on how versatile he is. And this is the, the tough part. You mentioned the injuries. I'm just going to kind of list uh, some injuries for you from November 4th, right? Toe, health and safety, back, 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 back ankle right and particularly the back injuries man that's a really tough thing to come back from especially for someone his age uh the ankle a little bit as well but i think 
that's someone you just got to take a, a risk on, Noah, because like you mentioned, he is so versatile on the ball. For him to defend guys from Donovan Mitchell to LeBron to Ann Edwards to Cat, I mean, you don't find very many players like that. And I think, again, considering where San Antonio's at, I'm, I operate from a position of like, what do they have to lose, right? If he can stay healthy and kind of bring some things together, you know, yoga can do a lot of things. Yoga can work magic, right? <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, you know, if, if he can stay healthy a bit, man, I think he's a really valuable piece. And, and you mentioned the shooting does need to get better. That, that's, that's, a, that's a given. But defense still, no matter what anyone says, ask Steve Clifford about this. Defense matters in the NBA. It don't matter how many points you can score. And they need d- defenders. They need guys who can be versatile. We've banged the table on it for, the, for so long. And I think Langford is that guy. I agree. I think Langford's that guy. And I don't I don't want to get like anyone's hopes up too high, but he does very much remind me of a guy like Bruce Bowen or PJ Tucker, where they, they don't really need to score a lot to be impactful, but they can guard everyone's best player. I mean, I have vivid memories growing up of Bruce Bowen switching from guys like, you know, Kobe Bryant. He's covering Kobe Bryant one possession, and then the next game he's covering someone like Dirk Nowitzki, making him uncomfortable near the post, and then you have him switching on to point guards like Chris Paul when he was really young. Like, you know, it's just, I, and, and I think Romeo Langford may not be necessarily Bruce Bowen. There's only one Bruce Bowen, but he can be like a PJ Tucker. And for me, it's the shot, man. He doesn't need to be great above the break. He doesn't need to be great straight away. He doesn't need to be shooting off the dribble. He doesn't need to be shooting off movement. If he can be a stationary threat from the corners, PJ Tucker made a over a decade long career off of that, that in defense. And, He's and, still and, in the NBA, isn't he? He is, yeah. yeah. He's still yeah. playing to yeah. this day. Like he, it, In his mid-30s, he's still making a career off that. And I just can't help but feel like you look at Romeo Langford, he can do a little bit more than that, right? But he can't shoot. And I think the piece of the, the puzzle that's missing is the shooting. If he can just become an adequate you know, 36, 37, 38% corner shooter, that's all you need from him. So I, I love him as an intelligent cutter, opportune driver, unselfish extra passer, his on-ball versatility on D. I mean, he just has so many characteristics of a winning player, and, and and I think the Spurs will ultimately decide to keep him around, or at least I hope so. You know, I don't have any sources on that, but I would hope that they keep him around. Yeah, another and and to kind of close on on Langford, I love the PJ Tucker comparison as well because PJ just signed that thirty-three million dollar uh, deal this offseason. This dude's gonna make ninety million dollars kind of off of the skill set that you and I are talking about for Romeo, if he could be that. Like you mentioned, just be in the corners, be that stationary three-point shooter, and you're fine. You're golden. Even P.J. Tucker with the Rockets, whenever they would run him a three-point line, he could just make one one simple pass. Just one one quick pass. That's it. That's it. That's all you need from him offensively, Noah, and I think you're fine. That said, though, one guy offensively that's been kind of rough to watch, Malachi Branham, man. Um, there was one uh, uh, specific play yesterday against Portland. I believe it was in the second quarter. He went to shoot a three. Uh, it was it was on the uh, on, on the left on the left wing, I believe. And it looked like his brain told him to shoot, but his body didn't want to shoot it. He's playing with no confidence right now, man. I I I, I mean, everything I've seen from him thus far. Granted, he doesn't really have like a well defined role right now, but he's really. It seems like the game's coming really fast. Um, and it's one of those things that I wasn't really necessarily like worried uh, about those kind of aspects. I was just more so worried about like the athleticism and stuff like that uh, to kind of really, you know, seeing how, how that would translate because he wasn't looking out of the best athlete. But it seems like right now, man, he just plays with no confidence. And I do want to ask, do you think 
a G League stint is is on the way? Do you think it's deserved? Because I personally do. Yeah, man. I, I think that's the only thing you can do with him. Unfortunately, Blake Wesley is going to the G League, and I think they're going to get him up to speed, and we'll talk about that later. But as long as you don't have a healthy, like completely healthy roster, and as long as Blake Wesley is in the G League, whether that's you know a week or two weeks or however long they want to keep him there, you can't really send Malachi Branham down because you need healthy bodies. And unfortunately, I still believe in Malachi Branham, but he just feels like a warm body out there. You know, he's like the fourth, fifth option. He's constantly deferring, unnecessarily so. He's passing up shots. He looks indecisive. And we saw something similar during Summer League, right? Head coach Mitch Johnson at Las Vegas Summer League was saying, we love that he's unselfish. We love that he wants to be a good teammate. But when you're as talented of a scorer as he is, you, sometimes you got to be selfish and you got to take it yourself. And I think he doesn't have to be the first option to be effective, but he's got to have some confidence and he just has none. So I would love to see him in the G League. Let him be that first option. Let him be the go-to guy. Let him build confidence. Let him get on a roll. And then, you know, eventually move him up to San Antonio. I don't know whether that's before the All-Star break, whether that's after the trade deadline, but he needs some time where he can be the guy and where he can start to really feel himself again because he just hasn't looked like the same guy we saw at Ohio State. So it's tough. Yeah, and he and he he's only 19 years old again, right? This is still a very, very young player. But I, I would agree, Noah. I, I think I think a G League and I think he needs to go down to the you know to Cedar Park, you know, play with those Austin Spurs, <laughs> right? There's a free bird right next to the Cedar Park Center, you know, go out and get get you a burrito <laughs> and relax, man. Let it come to you. You know what I mean? That's just what I would do if I was San Antonio, but yeah, man, I, Malachi, I, I'm we're we're all rooting for him, that's for sure, because I do like him, I do think he's very talented, uh, but right now it's just not it. No, it's not working, and I mean, you just it, all it takes is one look at the numbers, right? Four point six points per game over the last five games, he's shooting twenty nine percent. He just needs a change of scenery, but you know, as we mentioned, who knows when that's coming? Because Blake Wesley still isn't back. We'll talk about that in in just a minute here, but. Rough stint for Malachi. You said he's 19. He'll have all the time in the world to figure it out. But right now, it's just it's it's not looking good. But we'll go ahead and, and move on here. We'll start kind of touching on the latest news from around the organization. And Dame, what do you want to hit on first? I mean, we have a couple of things on here, so I'll let you choose. What do you want to talk about first out of you know the the newsworthy topics for the San Antonio Spurs? I guess the big the big thing, man. I want to talk about about Yaka Pearl. I want to talk about. I know you know Tom Orsborne said that Jakob Pertl still has no specific return date uh, from that bone bruise in his right knee, and that's caused him to miss you know seven consecutive games. Noah, I I know I know we have some stuff you know about Zach Collins playing well. I know we've talked about that, but I kind of wanted to touch a little bit on this report from Jake Fisher saying that Toronto's interested in acquiring Pertl, and it seems like a lot of teams are still talking about that. Uh, do you think is, is, there's a there's a, a strong likelihood that Jakob is moved? Because for me, I, we've, I think I've, we've always said that, you know, he's, he's a guy that really fits what they want to do. But it seems like the more and more we go on this season, the more and more noise we hear. Would you agree with that? I kind of agree with that. I, I read the entire report from Jake Fisher, and it sounds like teams that were interested in him a year ago, like Charlotte and Chicago, they're sort of out of the running now because they're bad. And, like, even if you trade for him, you're not going to be good. So they're just, they've kind of given up on that front. It sounds like the only team, like you mentioned, the only one that's really that interested right now is Toronto. And 
I have their roster and their salaries up right now. We could try to make a hypothetical that works, but look, Pirtle's on a $9.4 million contract this year. The only player who really like fits and makes this work financially is some combination of Kim Birch or Malachi Flynn or Precious Achiwa. And I mean, if you're the Spurs, Precious Achiwa is somewhat interesting. I think Kim Birch is, you know what he is. He's, you know, a decent rim runner. He's decent rim protector. He's definitely not Jakob. You know, you want a first round value for him, but I don't think you're going to get that. Now you could ask for Scotty Barnes, but they'll probably hang up the phone like that. That would work, but <laughs> they would probably hang up the phone. So I just, if I'm the Spurs, I know we've said it like multiple times on other podcasts, but I'm probably holding on to him unless you can really, really get something of value. And plus the other part of this report is he's only looking for about 15 million to $25 million annually. Now that's a pretty wide range and the top of that range is pretty expensive for a player like Jakob, but you know, the Spurs have money to spend. He sort of fits a timeline because he's not really old. His game isn't really predicated on athleticism, but I don't know, Dame. I mean, has anything changed your mind? I mean, with this information, has anything changed your mind? Are you still, you know, set in stone with keep Jakob around? I'm I'm still on the on the train of yes, keep Jakob. But at the same time, too, when it comes to San Antonio, I don't know if they should be married to any player in particular, right? So I want them to keep Jakob. I think he fits. Uh, but that range of salary is really interesting, right? Like you mentioned, it's a like fifteen to twenty five million is like huge. That's a lot, you know. That's the yeah, that's different. annually too. Just to yeah. like remind everyone, yes. that's annually. That's not like yes. over the course of three years. Yes. That's every year. Like imagine you pay Jakoperto either five years seventy five or five years one hundred twenty five. Like clearly, that's a pretty damn big difference. If you it's ask. a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, man, I think. You know, I think, you know, kind of tying it on, on Jakob, tying the bow on this, you know, this portion. We've seen how valuable, you know, he is, how valuable both big men are. Even in Zach Collins, a guy who isn't as good as Jakob, there's a there's a gap between them and, you know, Charles Bassey and whomever else they play, right? I like Jakob. I like Zach. I like what they're doing in the front court there. But in general, Noah, I think, I think if I'm San Antonio, I try to keep Jakob at the same time. I, uh, I'm not married to any of these players in particular. Now... One player I do like and I am excited uh, to see is Blake Wesley. Yesterday, Tom Orsborne of the San Antonio Express News reported that Wesley will make his long-awaited return from a grade 3 MCL sprain with the Austin Spurs when they face the New Mexico City or New Mexico, the Mexico City <laughs> Capitanes on Friday. Noah, Blake Wesley. That's one of my favorite players uh, on this first team, someone I was so excited to watch. What are you looking for? How excited are you to see Blake Wesley out there again? I know you can't see it because this is a podcast, but I've got a smile on my face. I'm really ready to see Blake Wesley get back out there. I think what he brings to the table as an athlete, a ball handler, a guy who can get past that first line of defense with dribble penetration, collapse a defense, kick it out. I, I'm excited for that because we've seen Trey Jones, love Trey Jones. We've talked about him. He's like a, a staple dish. He makes everything work, but you want to see, you want to have a little bit of flavor. You want a little bit of flair. You want to add some chili pepper flakes to the top of your meal. Yes. He's yes, the chili Noah. pepper flakes, right? He's the chili <laughs> oil. Like he, he is spicy. He's going to make it exciting. And so even if the Spurs are bad, at least you're going to get a chance to see a young guy, 19 years old, just like uh, Malachi Branham. You're going to see a young guy out there developing, making this team more exciting, a little more aesthetically pleasing. So I'm excited to see Blake Wesley. Now, like, how long is it going to take him to get back to San Antonio? That's another question. But for me, 
if I'm San Antonio, the second he's healthy and he says, I'm, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to play at the NBA level, I'm promoting him. You, you need another ball handler. It can't just be Trey Jones. Yeah. How, how awesome is it to finally see him back? Because he was someone that I thought, hey, give him all the reps you want in Austin. I was even saying, even at the NBA level, if he's going to run that second unit, feel free. Go ahead. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah, Primo's not there anymore. So, yeah. like, there's no one standing in his way. Exactly. You might as well. Exactly. And and I think, you know, because you and I typically kind of, we, we kind of land on the same side of, like, yeah, you know, give him G League reps, you know, don't force anything, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but in this particular situation with a guy like this, especially with, you know, Primo not there anymore, man, I, I don't see why not. You know, like what's the what's better experience than you know learning on the job, really, right? Like, you, I, I'm I'm not going to be a better you know anchor if I'm not you know in front of the camera. You're not going to be a better anchor journalist if you're not writing. You know what I mean? So exactly, yeah. You know, so might as well learn on the job and, and I, especially where this team is at, man. So I'm very excited, Noah, uh, to see Blake Wesley and see how he looks. You know, in the Spurs uni. If you're done with Blake, you can go ahead and get us into this guy that the Spurs just brought in recently. Uh, our Eric Salinas, good friend, made a little uh, analogy <laughs> to the Spurs getting rid of one player for this player. Tell, tell the people, who, who's in San Antonio now? Yeah, I'll be 100% honest with you. Uh, not super excited for this move, but I guess Pop in the front office decided to just continue revolving the door here, bringing in another player, releasing another player, bringing in another player. So they waived Alizé Johnson on Tuesday. A few hours later... They signed Stanley Johnson, his namesake. They're not related. You know, Johnson's just a popular last name. He's on a one-year contract, right? Unguaranteed. They add him a few hours later. Dame, I don't really think that there's that much I can say about him that's going to make anybody that excited, right? Former eighth overall pick, great, but 2015 draft. So clearly, if this is like his fourth or fifth NBA team, he's a journeyman. He's not lived up to his potential, and... I just don't know. Is he going to see the court over Keldon or Jeremy Sohan or Doug McDermott or Isaiah Roby or Keita Bates-Diop or Romeo Langford? I don't think so. I, I don't. Yeah, and, yeah, again, like, not. and nothing against him, but yeah, I, I would hope not. So, Dame, I just don't. Look, I'll, I'll toss it to you here in a second, but I'm not really sure what the Spurs saw in him that decided that, oh, we got to sign him because we talked about it on the last podcast. Go after a young guard. Sharif Cooper is available. He's lighting up the G League. He's not signed to a two-way contract, so anyone can go get him. Same thing with Jared Butler, another young guard. They're both in their early, early 20s. This guy is 26 years old. He was cut by the Utah Jazz this summer. The Sioux Falls Skyforce in the G League signed him like 10 days ago. He played three games there. Dame. He scored seven points on 12.5% shooting with nine fouls and nine turnovers in those three games. I just don't, and again, like, as a small sample size, I understand, but what is he bringing to the table that a young guard like Sharif Cooper or Jared Butler or even, like, another forward that's on the free agent market couldn't bring? I just, I need you to make it make sense for me. It's not that big of a deal because it's the last roster spot, but I need you to make it make sense because I'm not getting it, really. Oh man, I'm I'm gonna fail you in that department, brother. I, I I can't make him. Hey, look, I'm I'm happy that he's on on this. You know that he has a, a job in the NBA. I'm you know all that good stuff. Uh, but at the same time, man, Stanley Johnson. At one point, I, I remember when the Spurs and and you know they had Demar Derozan or these other you know veterans on the team. Uh, whenever Stanley was on the Pistons, I remember that was someone that we would kind of always see like plop into like trade talks. And some Spurs fans were like, man, you know if he can get a <laughs> shot or if he can get this. 
you know, he, we, you know, they could have the next this or the next that. And it just hasn't really worked out. And like you said, man, if he's playing over guys like Sohan and, 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 and Kelvin and Dev or whomever, we got an issue in the Alamo city, right? The countdown city has issues. So hopefully if we see, you know, Stanley, it's not, you know, in large chunks, hopefully it's in, you know, in, in garbage time when the Spurs are winning because if they're playing, if he's playing in the heat of battle, Noah, they got some problems. Let's just say that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, in all fairness, he did get into the game last night, right? We got our first taste of Stanley Johnson. I think he had two points, a rebound, two assists in four minutes, but they were all garbage time minutes. It wasn't like the game was decided. It wasn't a close game. The Spurs weren't coming back at that point, but like, how much can we read into that? And realistically, like how much can he contribute to a rebuilding team? I just, it's not a big deal. I keep telling myself it's not a big deal, but I I'm going to harp on this. You could have had another young ball handler. And, and even if you're of the mindset, well, they, they really love, cause I saw that I put this on Twitter and I had some people fire back and go, well, they, they trust Blake Wesley. That's why they have, well, what does Blake Wesley have to do with it? If you sign a guy like Sharif Cooper or Jared Butler to a two way contract, they don't have to play a second in the NBA. They could spend all of their time in the G League with the Austin Spurs, getting developmental reps, kind of figuring out who they are as a player. And by the way, Blake Wesley isn't back yet. So if you wanted to have another ball handler outside of Trey Jones, you there you go. Yep. They could play and their depth insurance. Like if anything happens to Trey, you know, knock on wood. If anything happens to Blake Wesley, knock on wood again. You have another ball handler who can kind of keep things moving along at least at a respectable rate so i don't understand this it's not the end of the world but i don't know i, I just is one of those moves that i go what like, when i when i read it from shams i was like what what stanley johnson the dude who <laughs> dropped like 80 points in the drew league like five years ago because that's like the most notable thing he's done in the last half decade and i'm not trying to disrespect him but i just don't really understand the move yeah no i if, if i knew if i knew or I had an idea, I would definitely let you know. But you know what, man? I don't want to close it on that. Let's close out the show by discussing the Spurs' upcoming matchup with the Miami Heat in Mexico City. Noah, does that sound good? I wish I was in Mexico and Cabo right now or anywhere. Ooh, Justin, that would be nice. Yeah, man, that'd be so dope. Even though it's the wintertime. Oh, man, I want to go back to Mexico. I love Mexico. Anyways... We've already seen these two cross-conference uh, <laughs> opponents go at it earlier in the year. We mentioned, you know, I was in Vegas and I saw young Devin taking over. So what are some things, you know, the Spurs fans that, uh, should watch for in round two of this fight, man? Yeah, I, I think for me, the number one thing that I'm watching for is how did the Heat adjust from the last matchup? They let San Antonio score 54 points in the paint, which is a lot, by the way. There's no, there's like two teams in the NBA averaging that much. So that would imply that the Spurs are this, you know, Points in the paint beast, which they're not. That's just not who they are. But they came into the matchup, and they come into this matchup as the team who has allowed the second fewest shots at the rim. So for me, how do they adjust? Because to me, again, this is just my opinion, but it looked like in the last game with the Heat that Miami was too focused on running non-shooters off the line and suffocating non-shooters, right? They were all over non-shoot. They were hanging on Romeo Langford, and what do you know? He back cut them, quick ripped them to the rim, had a season high 19, 19 points. Like, I, I would expect them to look at that and go, we, we messed up. Like, that, that game plan is bad. You're going to live with open shots from Romeo Langford. You should live with open shots from, love Zach Collins, but from Zach Collins if he's playing in this game. So, I don't know. 
that's what I'm looking for. How do they adjust? And, and then how do the Spurs adjust? Because I don't think they're going to get the same looks that they got in round one with Miami. Yeah, I think one thing I'm going to be looking out for in particular is the last time the Spurs played Miami, they had 18 turnovers as a team, and Miami only had 10. Somehow, the Spurs, the, the young team with, with eight more turnovers, they created four more uh, second chance opportunities than Miami in the offensive rebound category. I'm looking to see these kind of gritty stats, right? Turnovers and offensive rebounds. How are the Spurs going to protect the ball? And if they do, can they beat my? Can they sweep? Can they beat Miami again? Not only that, Noah. If, if they don't have Jakob and you know potentially Zach Collins, what the heck is going to happen? How are they going to? How are they going to win the glass? Like you know what I mean? Like what? Uh, they don't. Yeah. They don't. That's a great question because they they won't. I mean, I think we saw Zach Collins just how important he is to the Spurs. We know how important Jakob is to the Spurs, but. Zach sprained his ankle on Monday. He missed the last game against Portland. We're not really sure what his status is, and we're not going to know that until tomorrow night because of the way injury reports work. So if those guys are out, because we know at least one of them will be, we could potentially be looking at that one-two punch of Charles Bassey starting, Corky Chen coming off the bench, and we kind of saw what that gets you, right? It just puts you behind the eight ball. You're at a disadvantage athletically, skill-wise, and... I don't really think that the Spurs can keep pace with Miami if that's going to be the case. So, love Bassey. I think Gorgie Jing is a very smart player, but a combination of those guys, I, I don't see them winning the game if those are the dudes who are who are going to be leading the charge at center. Yeah, and, and another thing, too, that was interesting about that game that I'm, I'm also thinking. So, San Antonio shot basically 54% from the field against Miami. I, no, I don't think they're doing that again. Okay, I don't think I'm going to go out on a limb here, right? I don't think that's happening again. Uh, they did shoot 33% from three as well. I'm curious to see how are they going to put the orange thing in the orange thing against Miami if they're not going to win the rebounding battle and if they're not, if they're turning the ball over a bunch and Miami doesn't, if Miami has 10 or fewer turnovers, are they really going to be able to attack and transition as much as they'd like? Who knows? But I, I'm really interested to see how different they look especially like you mentioned without Zach Collins man cuz that's going to be tough sledding. It's going to be a, it's going to be a rough night, man. <laughs> yeah, it could be a really rough night for the Spurs and we've hit four things, right? Or four of our five things to watch. And I think the last thing to watch for is the three-point line. You look at the Spurs, they beat the Heat without winning the three-point battle. And that's the first time they have done that all season long. When the other team makes more threes than the Spurs this season, the Spurs are 1 in 15. We just said it. The Spurs beat Miami for that. And who are they facing? Miami. So is it possible if they lose the three-point battle again in Miami, how likely is it that they you know, pick up their second win when they don't win the three-point battle? I just, much like a lot of these other things from rebounds to turnovers to points in the paint, it kind of felt like San Antonio got a little bit lucky with how much Miami un underestimated them. Right? I mean, we talked about it at the top of the show. A lot of these teams, especially teams that you expect to be in that playoff race, they have underestimated San Antonio. And now that San Antonio is getting healthy, it's tough to underestimate them because they're going to compete for 48 minutes. Having said that, again, if Zach Collins isn't in there, it, it really I think that makes a world of difference because he just did such a good job on BAM, and we know how important he is to the Heat. So I think those are our five things to watch in this game. 
We've covered all of the recent games. We've covered some of the more important storylines around the organization. We've covered the players individually. But, Damon, unless you have anything else you want to hit on, we can start wrapping it up here. I guess I'm going to ask you, man. I'm going to just ask, ask us to close the show, man. It's Christmas, right? Christmas time. You know, <laughs> we got the World Cup on Sunday, right? Who's winning on Sunday, bro? Ooh, that's a good Okay, so, no, it's a basketball podcast, but I love me some World Cup. That's the only yes. time that I ever really get like hyped for soccer. I'm going with I'm going with Argentina. I have to do it because oh, Messi man. is the goat. I don't know how you feel yeah. about who's the goat, whether it's Ronaldo or goat. Messi, but Messi's the no, goat. The Come goat. on, Messi's yeah, the, goat. the goat. He creates for others. He scores. He's if he if he was a basketball player, he would basically be Luka Doncic. He would be Luka Doncic yeah, Luka on Doncic. steroids. Like this guy yep. is one of the greatest soccer players I've ever seen. He dribbles with finesse. He he cuts through defenses. He finds his the teammates. Passing. He can oh. shoot. Uh, he, you can depend on him in clutch moments. When, when you need a, a penalty kick to be knocked through in the upper 90, that's your guy. You're sending him to the penalty box to make that kick. So for me, it's got to be Argentina, and it's not just Messi, right? They're a good team. They wouldn't be in the finals if not so, but that's who I'm going with. Are you also going with Argentina, or, or do you got France in this one? I hope Argentina wins, man, because I do think Messi's the GOAT, and I want him to get that World Cup. Yes, sir. Uh, I do think France will win. Um, I think France is so talented, man. I, I, it's just really hard to see them <laughs> They're lose. So good, yeah, dude. But I love what Argentina's done. It's crazy how uh, Dybala, Dybala for for Argentina, he doesn't even play. He doesn't even play, and that's how deep Argentina is this year. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, they, yeah, they are so deep. But sorry to you know waste two minutes <laughs> of y'all's live. But yes, I'm rooting for Argentina. And my second favorite, or my third favorite soccer player in the world is Neymar. My second is Holland. From uh, he plays for Man City. Erling Holland, uh, yeah, yes, sir. Oh my dog. God, he's, he's been so dog. good in the Premier League. Yeah, he's Manchester a dog. <laughs> but, More goals than games played. Oh my <laughs> he's God. a dog. But bro, I guess now we'll wrap it up a little bit. Uh, y'all can go ahead and follow me on Twitter at da bartonic. That's at d a b a r t o n e k. Uh, I'm a sports anchor, uh, multimedia journalist, and news uh, multimedia journalist for. Fox West Texas out here in San Angelo. So if you guys want to catch uh, some Texas stuff, uh, some stories, uh, along with some other content, Spurs, commies, all that good stuff, give me a follow on Twitter. Uh, check out the staff. And uh, yeah, man, it's going to be lit. Noah, send us off, baby. Absolutely. You can follow me at N underscore Magaro, M-A-G-A-R-O. You can check out my YouTube channel. I'm continuing to churn out those film studies if that's kind of what you're interested in and then obviously you can find us on the pod check out everything that dame's doing though i i promise you right now you follow him you're not going to regret it he's got great content he's if, if i had to to say that he was a talent right now how to compare him to somebody in the nba we're looking at a a bona fide superstar in the making we're looking at a scotty barnes maybe we're looking at somebody like, like a, 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 a kate cunningham we're looking at maybe a Chet Holmgren. So go follow him. He's great. I enjoy doing this podcast with him as often as we can do it. But we'll go ahead and wrap things up here. So thanks for joining me, Dame. And thank you to everybody who tuned in for this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. We have got a fantastic staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock. So check our stuff out. And until next time, everybody, take care.